reading from the book of Acts. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a property, and, with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And a great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. The word of the Lord. Well, it's my joy to stand in front of you today and celebrate all of the veterans in the room. Can I have a show of hands of those who are serving or have served. Can we give them a round of applause? Thank you. I was told also it is the Marine Corps' birthday. Is that correct, Jim? All right. So a special shout out to the Marines. Uh, we are grateful for the liberties we have and to be able to worship together this morning. And it's fitting that I would have a veteran actually bring this passage to you this morning. Uh, we're going to hear from Kenneth Paget, our own Kenneth Paget. So here's the deal. Kenneth has served us in the Navy and in the Air Force. Did you know that? He's much more than a drummer. Some of you might know that he also leads a, a, a Bible study, an in-depth Bible study uh, weekly here at our church. Others have just met him through different um, encounters. But uh, you might not know that he just finished the Master's in Old Testament 
And we are supporting him as he pursues a PhD in Old Testament uh, through uh, University of Aberdeen. And so I thought, wow, what a great opportunity, Kenneth, that you get to preach on this passage, Ananias and Sapphira. So would you give Kenneth a warm welcome this morning as he brings God's word? Thank you. Paul, you left, you left your big uh, glasses here? <laughs> I'm not there yet. <laughs> Um, well, thank you uh, for being here. Have you guys ever read a passage in the Bible and where you're like, what in the world is going on? Uh, there are some of those in the Bible, uh, and we are going to encounter one this morning. Uh, let's let's uh, pray and then, and then dive right in. Father, you are good. And Father, I pray, as we prayed earlier this morning, pray that you would give us wisdom and give it generously to us. Father, this is a heavy passage, and uh, I pray that you would give us uh, wisdom and discernment, um, that you would poke and prod at our hearts um, to move us in a, in a position where we are most satisfied in who you are. Father, I pray this for your name's sake. Amen. So my, uh, just right off the bat, I just want to tell you the big idea of the passage um, this morning is God's sacred family is more important than your self-interest. So right off the bat, um, I just want to recognize that this passage, this message, it runs a little against the grain of our standard Western evangelical culture, positive, encouraging. Uh, I'm not denying those things, <laughs> of course, but I am saying that this message is going to sit with us maybe a little bit different this morning, so I'm giving you a heads up uh, right at the outset. And of course, we read the passage, great reading. Um, and um, this is how the passage ends, just to remind you, just to go ahead and set uh, the tone for the passage. Uh, this is what, when, when the whole church heard the things that we're going to talk about this morning, um, great fear came upon them. And so, just as a prep, so I was talking to my wife last night, and I was running through this message, and uh, towards the end, she's like, man, this is really convicting, you know? And I was like, I know, I feel it. And so I was like, hey, I have an idea. Um, maybe we can just take a vote. I'll take a vote on Sunday, Sunday morning. Who wants to skip this passage? You know, we don't want it to be there. Raise your hand, you know, like, yeah, don't raise your hand. Um, <laughs> this, yeah, th this whole uh, great fear thing, I know that's like your go-to Christmas card um, <laughs> verse. Get the season started right. Get it all, get it all going. <laughs> but um, no, for real though, um, my, my wife and I were talking about this, this passage. Uh, when, when we were talking about the weight of the passage this morning, this one came to mind for us. And I love the NLT's translation for us this morning. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I want that 
in your minds this morning as we engage this passage. So with that said, let's dive right in. Um, we're doing this morning Ananias and Sapphira, which is Acts 5, 1 through 11. But I want to back up into Acts 4 to get the context, because you're not going to understand Ananias and Sapphira without the context um, that's, that's been laid out by um, Luke. So Luke wrote this letter. He's himself a non-Jewish Roman citizen who is a follower of King Jesus. And he's writing the letter to a guy named Theophilus, a guy he, he says is most excellent Theophilus in Luke chapter 1. And this is the second installment to Theophilus. And Theophilus, most scholars believe, is also, uh, with the name Theophilus, a Greek name, he's also a Roman citizen, probably a non-Jew, probably a man of means. And that's going to be important in our passage. But I wanted to um, give you a little bit of sense of the cultural context and this uh, Aristotelian idea of friendship in the first century Roman, Greco-Roman world. So Aristotle had established um, this idea of friendship, and he uses these Greek words right here, and it says, one mind and having all things in common. This is how you ought to interact, a healthy relationship with your neighbors and uh, those who live around you. You need to have a healthy relationship where you have everything in common and where you're of one mind headed towards one direction, and there's this idea built into it of reciprocity. So I do something for you, I'm expecting you to do something in return for me, and I, you do something for me, and I'm supposed to give you something back. That's built into this friendship ethic that Aristotle had established that had become a cultural norm in, by the first century uh, Greco-Roman world. And so he's writing to Theophilus, who's in the mix. This is, this is his default language, his de default way of thinking, and what Luke does is he uses these exact Greek words and says, hey, um, in, in Acts 4, 32 through 35, he says, hey, Theophilus, the church, the earliest church, it's kind of like this idea where we're of one mind and we have all things in common. But then what he does is he takes Theophilus, Theophilus in a little bit deeper and moves the friendship dynamic to a family dynamic. This is what is happening in the power of the Spirit. And so the idea of reciprocity is removed. And so as many as had excess, they would sell that excess, excess and liquidate it, and they would go to the apostles, and they would live in this family-type environment where anyone who had need would be provided for. And they were expecting nothing in return. The needy are not providing for them. They don't have anything. And so this sets up the this generosity dynamic to the, this family of God that God is just now creating uh, after Pentecost. And so this is the way it works. He sets out Barnabas as a positive example. Okay, so he says the church is like this. They're selling their stuff. There's no one needy, one mind, all things in common. There's this guy named Barnabas. He, his name was Joseph, but we gave him a nickname He's the son of encouragement. That's what Barnabas means. And I, I want you to be like this guy. He's setting him out to be an example to follow. So we have to pay attention to the literary structure as we transition into uh, Ananias, um, where Ananias becomes the foil in the structure. Okay, So a foil, the verb, is to pre prevent something from succeeding. 
And the noun is someone or something that serves as a contrast to another. I think both those things are at play in this story of Ananias and Sapphira. So we have Luke with this very simple, <laughs> this very simple idea that you need to have in place to understand what's happening with Ananias and Sapphira. Okay? Luke has set out to, as an example, Barnabas. And then Acts chapter 5 starts with, but Ananias. So we have good, great um, experience and, and description of the, the local church there in Jerusalem. And then now we have a foil at play. And so I want to say, kind of right off the bat, that um, this story of Ananias and Sapphira is atypical. It's not something that you normally read in the Bible. Um, but with that said, it's not unprecedented. There are similar types of stories, and here's the idea to help us grasp Ananias and Sapphira as well, is anytime that God is doing something new with his covenant community, it tends to be marked, the weight of what he's doing tends to be marked by sudden deaths. Here it is, here's some examples um, God creating a covenant with his people on the mountain of Sinai and the people are down at the bottom of the mountain worshiping a golden calf. And God says, hold up, pause, stop, Moses. I, I'm giving you the Ten Commandments. I'm giving you the, the instructions for the tabernacle. Maybe not. Maybe I shouldn't go with you guys to the promised land. And Moses, you know, scurries down the mountain and kills 3,000 people. And then, you know, a lot of other stuff happens. And... Um, <laughs> And then, but you're like, you know, you're reading that and you're in all the other stuff and you're like, 3,000 people just died, it's one verse. Like, that's a lot. <laughs> and then he comes back up, okay, I'll go with you to the promised land, but you're gonna have to build this tabernacle, okay? And it's my house in your midst. The king of the cosmos is dwelling in your midst. So fast forward a little bit to Leviticus 10 and God has establishing all these rules for how his house ought to function, establishing the weight of holiness in this tabernacle, in this tent. And here comes Nadab and Abihu kind of doing whatever they want. Yahweh is my friend type t-shirts on, walking in, and they instantly die. They bring strange fire, and they die, and the people come, and they take their bodies, and they wrap them up, and they take them outside of the camp, and they bury them. That should sound a little bit familiar to the Ananias and Sapphira text because uh, there's an echo happening there. And then you have Achan. Um, so you have the covenant, the tabernacle. These are big ideas. Then finally, we're going to the promised land, but you kind of screwed it up, so we had to wait in the wilderness for 40 years. And now we're finally going into the promised land, and we are going to, uh, with God um, as our warrior king, we are going to um, get rid of the resistance against us to this land that you promised to our forefather Abraham. And God says, as we go through this, I don't want you to take anything nothing for yourselves. I'm your portion. And all of a sudden, things start going terrible. They start losing. Things are, this is not going very well. And Joshua finds out that there's a guy named Achan who has taken some stuff for himself. And once everybody finds out, Achan and his whole crew, you know, they get killed. And, um, and you're like, wow, this is crazy. So fast forward all the way to our chapter here, Acts 5. A new beginning. This is after Pentecost. This is everything so far in the story has been pretty cool. 
I mean, we're seeing the, the Spirit drop down on the church, and we're seeing them go out bold, empowered, bold generosity, bold charity and love towards their neighbors, healing people. The Pharisees are ticked. And you're just like, man, this is a great story. Oh, yeah, tell me about Barnabas again. He's cool. And then, but Ananias. So what happens in the text? Well, here's how, here's how it happens. Ananias and Sapphira, they conspire together. They're in on it. Seems like it's Ananias. Ananias kind of takes the lead on this idea. And Sapphira's like, okay, whatever. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put numbers in this because the text doesn't give us numbers, but just to help us feel the, the story along here, to, to, to grasp the story, is let's just pretend they decided, hey, I'm going to sell this thing for $10,000, but I'm going to give $8,000 to the church. You know, this is going to make me look great because, you know, Barnabas and all these other guys, they're going in there. They're getting these cool nicknames. And so I'm going to go in there and I'm going to lay $8,000 at the feet of the apostle and it's going to look awesome. Well, unfortunately, Peter knows somehow, miraculously, I don't know, but he knows and he sees the 8,000. He's like, Peter, what's your deal? You know, and he says, um, Satan has filled your heart. And this language is language of Judas. This is deep betrayal language. Judas's heart was, Satan filled Judas's heart before he went and betrayed the body of Christ. And the weight of that moment is being echoed and picked up here in the way that this story is being told. The church is filled with the Spirit. We have read that in chapter 4. These people have come together to conspire with Satan. And he's like, he's like, hey, Ananias, you're not lying to me. You're lying to God. And so Ananias, all we know is that Ananias fell down dead. And it was voluntary. I just want to point that out. That's a little side note. This is voluntary. This is not socialism, communism type thing. This is... Peter says it in the text. Hey, the land was yours, and the money was yours. When you came and you tried to, you know, put a little padding on your self-interest and then, you know, come up, hey, look, I'm giving everybody, that was, that was the testing of the Spirit and the deception and the lying to the Holy Spirit and lying to God. And then here comes, um, oh, then he's dead. He, he dies. He's buried. What doesn't happen it's important to note, what doesn't happen is that Peter doesn't kill Ananias. We're all on the same page there. Like, I think sometimes this passage maybe gets like, what? And Peter doesn't kill anybody, nor does he even call down a curse. He just says, hey, man, you're lying to the spirit right now. I know it. And Ananias falls over dead. And then he's, he, like these young guys are there, and they wrap him up, and they take him out, and they bury him. And it's an unceremonious death. Same thing that happened to Judas, an unceremonious death. This is deep betrayal to this new community that God is building, this new family that God is building. That's how he's um, letting us, he's letting us know that this is, there's weight to what's happening here. And so then here comes Sapphira. I don't know what she's been doing. She doesn't know what's going on. Three hours later, and she comes in, and Peter says, hey, did you sell the land for $8,000? And she's like, yeah, 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 $8,000. He gave her an opportunity to come clean. 
They, we sold it for 10. But she conspires with her husband. She says, yeah, 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 $8,000 because she's thinking about her self-interest as well and padding that. And so Peter says, no, um, you know what? Actually, the guys that just that left to go bury your husband that you don't know about right now, I'm telling you right now, they're going to go bury your husband. They're at the door now and they're here to collect you. And she falls over dead. So, now we get to our Christmas card verse. And great fear came upon the whole church and all who heard these things. God's sacred family is more important than your self-interest. The text this morning is, is heavy, it's atypical, it's strange, it feels foreign, and all of that is meant to communicate to you. This is what God is doing in the beginning of Acts, and by creating this covenant family, he's doing something amazingly profound, and it is not to be treated lightly. Remember that all Scripture is inspired by God. It's going to teach us what we ought to be doing and teach us what we ought not to be doing. And I want to make sure that this morning, as, our, as a covenant community ourselves here, that we are approaching the text that way. Sometimes it's, it's easy in our culture, in our Christian culture, especially our positive and encouraging Christian culture, to pull out verses that encourage us. And that's great. God is encouraging us. He sent us the comforter to comfort us, but also to convict us. Here's a question as we close out. What hinders us from fully participating in God's sacred family? Just kind of run through your mind. I know like this is the part where me and Rebecca started being like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? Um, there's so much, this text has prodded our family so much towards maximizing our particip participation in this covenant community. And the, the reality is, is that God has made a family. That's what this whole Bible has kind of, in all the way to Acts, kind of given birth to this spirit-wrought family. And he says, this is where you as individuals are going to flourish and thrive at, the, at your highest capacity as a human is in the midst and context of this Jesus-following, spirit-filled community. And I want you to be all in. There, our culture runs counter to what the Spirit is doing. It's just the way it is. The, the, the world uh, is run by the prince of the power of the air, which is another name for Satan. And he's trying to subvert on the outside everything that's going on. And we see that in politics and we see it in arguments on Facebook or whatever. Don't be fooled. Satan is trying to undermine the community of God as well from the inside. That's what's happening with Ananias and Sapphira. That is a temptation that we all as people um, feel. And we're told culturally you get your kids in this sports thing and yeah, it'll pull them away from the family of God, but it's cool and good for them. 
or culturally, it's, I like the music at this church, the preaching, preaching at this church, and the community at this church, and we kind of just bing bong, you know, ping pong around the whole thing, and I just, I just, this text this morning, I just wanted to add a little bit of weight. I think that's what Luke is doing. He's adding serious weight to what we're doing right here this morning, gathered in the power of the Spirit, under the name of Jesus, this is what God is doing. And he's dwelling in our midst, and he's speaking to us through his word, and he's compelling us toward radical generosity, towards charity and love towards one another at a level that the world doesn't understand. John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. It's not wrong to have self-interest. It's not wrong to like to have hobbies and do things and have fun. Have resources, have fun, have a schedule, have a calendar. In a way, do all that, but in a way that shows your deepest satisfaction is in God himself, which is only lived out in the context of a local covenant community who is bound together in the spirit under the authority of the word. You've heard the phrase, show me your calendar and your checkbook and I'll show you what you worship. Billy Graham says your checkbook is a, your bank statement is a theological document. By it, I can see what and who you worship. I'm not here Listen, I'm receiving this text the same way that you guys receive it. I've been pondering this all week, and it's just, there's no way to, like, let's get around this and do something cool and fun. Like, it's just heavy. It's weighty. The, the, the whole church hears this story, and they are filled with fear. I think the, the idea for us this morning is, like, the weight, the heaviness of what God is doing, not the... Like, remember, God, what God is doing is awesome. What God is doing are spirit-filled people full of love towards one another. What Ananias and Sapphira are doing, they represent that part of us that seeks to check out a little bit and check out a little bit more and check out a little bit more. So I think the call this morning is towards full participation. I think, you know, it's interesting, the church itself kind of going, shifting to one fellowship and uh, seeking to be more inclusive, seeking to move this charity and this love that we have here gathered together and start to seep into other areas of the city. I think the call for us as that vision is cast, the call for us is to bind ourselves together in the power of the Spirit under the authority of the Word and King Jesus and to fully participate and thrive and flourish as human beings. Let's pray. Father, you are good. Father, you have created something so amazing and allowed us not only to enter in and participate, but to thrive and flourish as we seek to follow King Jesus. Father, my prayer 
is that you bind us together more and more in our community groups, in our friendships, that we can make space for this family in our calendars, that we can make space in our budgets for this family so that no one would have needs. Father, this is what you're doing. And I pray by the power of your spirit, you would continually work and grow us together. Pray this for Jesus' namesake. Amen.